and welcome to Conversations with Sports Fans. I'm your host, Doug Hill. And in this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Kevin Beers. Kevin is entering his 19th season as the public address announcer for Oakland University Basketball in Rochester Hills, Michigan. Kevin's a former high school basketball and tennis coach himself, as well as a former basketball radio color commentator during his days at Central Michigan University. We are certainly excited to learn more about Kevin's history as a sports fan and his journey. Kevin, welcome to Conversations with Sports Fans. Thanks, Doug. Thanks so much for having me, and thanks for doing this. This is very cool. Yeah, I'm I'm excited and looking forward to it. And um, you know, this is your as as you know, I think we talked about offline a little bit. You're our second public address announcer at a, a Division One university, so we're excited about that. I don't know if you can live up to Chuck Crabb from Indiana University's Assembly Hall. He was there for over 40 years, but, um, you know, challenge accepted, yeah, I hope, right? right? <laughs> big shoes. Yeah, yeah, big shoes. Yeah. So let's get right into it. What are some of your earliest memories of being a sports fan? So, you know, that's a, that's a great question. And, and one that I think that we don't, really think of all that much i have such great memories from when i was you know seven eight years old and the first thing that pops into my mind is going to tigers games at tiger stadium with my dad it was amazing and you know i mean i mean that just that stuff leads to um a, a life to, a, a life full of it the the memories um uh, you know, starting uh, starting with my dad at Tiger Stadium, um, I think that really laid the foundation because it was awesome. I mean, I I remember he'd you know we'd be sitting at the at the kitchen table on a Sunday morning and um, and he would you know he'd say uh, remember I'm seven seven eight years old yeah he'd say hey what do you got going what do you got going on today <laughs> right and uh, like I had anything going on and uh, he'd say well I've I've two tickets. Um, the Tigers game want to go and of course I wanted to go and into the car we'd hop and we'd uh, we'd drive down there and uh, you know have uh, have a magical experience yeah what was that experience like as you made your way into the stadium especially for that first time and I know it's hard for us to pinpoint now these 40 plus years later that first time but you know you probably have an amalgamation of those early years in, in terms of what that experience was like because typically folks have a pretty vivid um, memory of what they felt like that was like. Yeah, it's the, the sounds and the, and the sights, Doug, um, you, you saw games at Tiger stadium, right? Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was certainly, I was older. We didn't move up to right. Michigan until I was about 11 or 12 or 10 or 11. So I was a little bit older than that. My first time there was probably as an 11 or 12 year old. Okay, so you'll know exactly what I'm talking about when you get in the stadium. Um, you know, I mean, just everything about it—the sounds and the the smell of the hot dogs and the popcorn and all that stuff—and then when you get close to where your seats were, it doesn't matter where your seat. It didn't matter where your seats were. You had to walk through the tunnel. Remember the tunnel? Oh yeah. And uh, as you're making your way through the tunnel. You can see on the other side of the stadium, you see the seats and uh, or the bleachers or, you know, whatever um, uh, angle you were you were seeing. And then as you got even closer, 
you could see the grass, the outfield grass, that green, green, the luscious grass I've I'd ever seen to that point. And um, and then got even closer, and you could see the dirt of the infield and mm-hmm. players walking, uh, walking around or playing catch or you know, taking batting practice or whatever. And sometimes there's a guy with a hose out there, um, you know, hosing down the yeah. hosing down the dirt. God, it was all just magical, Doug. Just magical. And I still remember it. I still get excited about it. And so did my dad. You know, I mean, I was seven or eight, but but that guy, you know, God, he's been he's been gone sadly for decades now. But you know, in those in those moments, he kind of became a seven or eight year old kid again, too. It's it's a beautiful thing. It really is. And God. sports does that for us. It it really does. And and Tiger Stadium was unique because you know, unlike the ballparks today, you couldn't see inside of it. You know, you 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 I mean it was this right. big monolith, a cathedral almost at the corner <laughs> of Michigan and Trumbull, and you couldn't get any kind of a vision inside until you actually were in. And and as you described those tunnels, and you know, oftentimes you'd have to go, you know, down and then up to get to your yes. seats. And then as you kind of peek over, you're right, seeing those seats across the way and then hearing a sound or smelling something or your shoes sticking to the, to, yes. the, to the, to the floor. Right. I remember that. Yeah. I can feel that right now as you say that. Yeah, yeah. A lot of, a lot of uh, soda spilled in there. And I don't think that the cleanliness was the uh, top of mind for yeah. uh, the tigers of that era. Speaking, yeah, for yeah, sure. speaking of that era, what era are we talking? Are you, uh, is these lean years for the Tigers or are they pretty decent years for the Tigers? Uh, I don't remember any playoff teams <laughs> from those, from, from those days. It was the 1970s. Uh-huh. Um, and so, you know, uh, I wish, I, I really wish, of course, that like most everybody uh, who remembers this guy, but I wish I could have seen, the bird, right? I wish I could have been there to experience a, a Mark Fidrich um, uh, on the mound, but uh, I I didn't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so my my favorite player back in those days, you I, you probably remember this guy if you were a Tigers fan a long time ago, or at least you respect the history. Um, their third baseman in those days was Aurelio Rodriguez. Do you remember him? Oh yeah, I, I'm I'm happy you said Aurelio and not Phil Mankowski. That's good. Yes, <laughs> I remember him too. I remember him. But God, Aurelio Rodriguez. You know something about Aurelio Rodriguez, and I think just about anybody would back me up, and probably experts on ESPN even would uh, would back me up on this. Um, if that guy would have been able to hit uh, as well as Brooks Robinson, they would have been joined at the hip for the hall of fame he didn't play as long as as brooks obviously but but in terms of fielding that's the level of aurelio rodriguez he was a brooks robinson level fielder at third base he just didn't have the bat he he was he was he was so crazy good it was so much fun to watch him and he he captured this little kid i mean it was yeah it was it was something it was it was fun to watch him and fun to root for him his did he his glove he had a nickname wasn't it like black betty or black betsy or something like that i think you're Maybe. right it was yeah. i don't recall exactly but oh, yes god. he did yeah. have a nickname for it oh god yeah. uh, i mean you talk about him hitting as well as brooks robinson that was not a high bar to get over so your man aurelio was not not hitting too much if if yeah you, if you just wanted to get up to brooks robinson status 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. Well, you know, I mean, that that would have at least <laughs> probably got him some some Hall of Fame consideration, I sure. guess. But but I mean, the the team was bad too. Yeah. So I mean, he he was never going to be a Hall of Famer. But man, oh man, was he something else? And his arm. And I remember my dad saying time and time again, "Why don't they try to turn him into a pitcher?" Because it looked like when he'd throw the ball, you know, he'd dive across the the third baseline and stop a ball that had no business being stopped. It should have been a double. And um, he would stop the ball and fire it across third base. And Doug, it looked like it was going as hard as (laughs) the pitch the pitcher had thrown. It was amazing. Uh, what what captured you about him? Was it just the way the style of play? Were you an infielder yourself uh, as a little leaguer, or was there something something to it? You know, I, granted, there were not a lot of um, standouts on some of those you know late nineteen seventies Tigers teams. It was a bit before you know Trammell and Whitaker and and Parrish and that whole crew made their appearance. So right, the the, the pickings were slim for a a young Kevin Beers in terms of who to maybe um, idolize or look up to, but, but how did it become him? Do you remember? Yeah, I, I, I really don't. I just, I think it was, well, I mean, he was kind of an underdog, you know, because, because uh, anytime he got a hit, it was like a, a bonus for the Tigers. Um, and it's maybe that was part of it, but I, I think it was just his fielding, man. And you, I, I was to, uh, to your point, I was an infielder um, my whole you know, all the years mm-hmm. I played baseball, I was an infielder. So, you know, that kind of grabbed me. I, I did certainly as a little kid pay more attention to the infielders than the outfielders. Um, and that guy, you know, your eyes were just drawn to him because he had spectacular play after spectacular play. Yeah. And so I think I think that just that just grabbed me, you know. Sure. Um, from from the early days of the Tigers and experiencing live sport for the first time, what is the, do you remember what the next piece to that sports fan journey was for you? Did it, did it stay baseball for a long time or did you begin to begin to expand your, your, I guess, sports fan horizons? Yeah. uh, The horizons expanded and quickly too. Uh, (laughs) baseball certainly was first. Um, but uh, I, I remember how football got on my radar and it was uh, it was when I was really little, um, you know, probably around the same time. Um, mm-hmm. There was uh, there was a guy at Wald Lake Central. My older brother and sister went to Wald Lake Central. So did I. Um, and um, in their time there, there was uh, there was a guy named Mike Imhoff. I am. H O F F look him up sometime. It's a, it's, he's quite a story. Um, and sadly there's a, a very tragic ending to his life, but, uh, but he was, uh, he was a great story. He was a phenomenal student athlete. Football was his main game. He played all sports at Wild Lake central and I never missed one of them. I mean, I even, I even went to his baseball games in the spring, but watching him, watching him play football, and um and even basketball but he was a football player ended up playing at michigan state and the day i found out doug that he was going to michigan state um i was such a mike imhoff fan that i turned on a dime into a michigan state football fan and it was strictly because of him um 
and and talk about uh, talk about being able to personalize the story. He grew up, you know, not far from where I grew up. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I went to Walt Lake schools too. And um, he, um, he got injured his first year. Notre Dame wanted him really, really badly. And he chose Michigan state over Notre Dame tells you what kind of player he was. I mean, the 1970s fighting Irish wanted him badly. Yeah. Um, so in his first, in his first game, this isn't the tragic ending, by the way, this is just a, you know, um, an injury, but um, in his first game, he was on the kickoff team and they ran some uh, blocking pattern that was like a, a pre-slug play or something like that and zeroed in on him. And they had two or three guys um that blocked him really, really hard, and he blew out his knee on oh. his on the first play of his first year. Um, and uh, I, so he was out for his freshman year. He and he and his mom and dad would invite me over to their house to listen to or watch Michigan State games. So I'm sitting in the living room with. Mike Imhoff, my living hero, and we're watching or listening to Michigan State football games. It was phenomenal. I mean, so that's about as personal as it gets. And talk about, you know, helping to uh, secure a lifelong passion for sports. Holy smokes! It it doesn't get much better than that. Yeah. What what position did did Mike play? For Michigan State, he was a defensive back. Okay. Uh, and he ended up being really, really good. He was drafted by Seattle, I believe, um, at the end of his career, even though um his knee was in such bad shape. They still drafted him. That's that's how good he was, you know, yeah. and without without an injury that bad, I'm sure he would have played in the NFL. Yeah. Uh, you know, he was really good. Well, I was gonna ask if after he was injured in that first game, if you you know turned tail and went back to U of M. But clearly, if you're sitting in his kitchen or living room, uh, listening to the games or watching the games with him, uh, you stuck with the Spartans, I guess. Yeah, I did. I've, I've, <laughs> it's It was almost like I had no choice, right? <laughs> uh, so MSU, and then from there, I mean, you're growing up in Oakland County, so you're in fairly close proximity, I would imagine, to the Pontiac Silverdome, which um, the yeah. Lions were, you know, was the home stadium for them. Uh, for many years and then ultimately the pistons came to came calling and and played in the cavernous confines um did you begin to um check out some of the events there too as you got older absolutely those lions games i loved them that place was so loud 80,000 what was the number 80,639 i think is what they always put in the free press uh yeah. you know for a sellout um i think that's what the number was um and uh, yeah, I mean, I remember lots of Lions games all through, you know, all the way through. I, I remember seeing Barry at the Silverdome too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, it was, it was really cool. So yeah, I became, um, uh, I got closer to the Lions because I went to a bunch of games and it was really the Pistons as I, as I started really becoming a basketball guy. Um, I went to Wald Lake Central High School and uh you know, I, here's how it would go down for Pistons games. We would uh, we'd get done with basketball practice, all right, at uh, at Wild Lake Central, and um, we'd hop. We, I mean, Mike, me, and say three friends. 
yeah. uh, teammates, three teammates would, uh, would hop in my 1972 Ford Maverick and we'd head out, right. And we we're headed to the Silverdome. We'd get up on I seven or not. I 75 I'm sorry. We'd get up on M 59 and, and, um, we had to drive through Waterford on an M59. And um, there's a there's an iconic uh, restaurant in Waterford called the Lion's Den. Yeah. Well, right next to that, back in the day, there was a White Castle. We'd go through the White <laughs> Castle drive through and, you know, pay whatever, a buck 80 or whatever for dinner each, right? And um, we'd eat it on the way to the Silverdome. Then we'd get to the Silverdome and we'd plunk down $3.50 for the nosebleed seats. Um, but that's where the story got a little bit, uh, cooler. Um, Tim Chapin, I don't know if it's, it's probably okay. If I say his name, he wouldn't care. Um, Tim Chapin was, uh, an older, uh, a guy that was a few years older than us. And he was an usher for the courtside seats. So you might know where this is going. Uh-huh. We'd, you know, we'd get in with our 350 nosebleed seats. And then we'd go find Tim and Tim would say, yeah, hang on. And so usually, I mean, by, by certainly by halftime, he knew who was coming and, and who wasn't coming and which seats were going to be open. So there were many times he'd, you know, come on guys. And he'd motion us and we'd see the second half literally courtside uh, at the Silverdome. So yeah, it was, that was cool. Um, And that was a little bit later, but so the first thing at the Silverdome and you know, the Silverdome too, I remember, my dad had like a 15 year run, I think, um, of watching the high school um, football finals. Mm-hmm. It was always this uh, this coming weekend, right? November. I mean, yeah, uh, Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving weekend. weekend. Yep. yep. Still is, I believe. And mm-hmm. they headed to Silverdome for years and years. He went, it was something like 15, 15 straight years or something like that, sat in the same seat. In like that, I think it was like the northwest corner. He liked the angle seat in the Silverdome, and uh, and he'd sit there and uh, and and watch the entire day, both sessions. I remember, and I went with him a bunch of times to that too. So, oh my God, yeah, I mean, huge sports fan. Period. Okay. Yeah. So there's, I've got three or four that come out of that little um, monologue. There, one, um, you you recollected what it was like to walk into Tiger Stadium. Uh, try to recapture if you could what it was like to either enter or more importantly perhaps exit the Silverdome because as I recall that was not a uh, it was a roof that was inflated so there was a lot of air moving around that building so try to if you could uh, recapture that for our listeners. It's cool that you brought that up because Doug I haven't thought of this in decades but one of the coolest things about entering or exiting the Silverdome was the wind when you open the door, right? I mean, and as I'm picturing, um, yep. Uh, what's that called? You know, the uh, the circle. I don't know what it's whatever. called either, but yeah. the rotating door, the circular yes. door, or whatever. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And as you as you come through that, uh, there's this breeze, and it's not without sound either. I mean, there was like a <laughs> whoosh, yeah. and there's this actual breeze, and that was cool you know so it was really really cool 
that was uh, that was how you entered or exited, right? Yeah, I, yeah. I, I mean, I felt like I could I could keep up with Carl Lewis as I was either coming in or going out because of the the wind aided at my yeah. back. I, I felt very fleet of foot, and in fact, yes. I was never fleet of foot. But yeah, an interesting <laughs> right. experience to be sure. Yeah. Um, so the next item on my list: um, What did your high school basketball coach think of that uh, training table of of stopping at White Castle for a sack <laughs> of uh, Castle burgers? Was that on the uh, recommended list? I don't remember that being on any uh, nutritional uh, recommendation list at all. Um, in fact, I don't remember sharing that with Coach Emmert. Um, but uh, oh my gosh, yeah, it was it was awesome. I mean that those those memories are great. And yeah. again, the and 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 the beauty of having a 1972 Ford Maverick too is it didn't matter if we trashed it, right? Not in the least. And I'm sure that there were plenty of odors in there one way or the other. So the, the yeah. castles and, and, and the leftover practice and the smelly sweat socks, it didn't, yeah, it all no, blended together yeah. seamlessly. Character. Um, yeah, exactly. And I, I think I need to also know what era we're talking about here with the Pistons in particular. Are you watching the uh, the old silver with the lightning bolts and Kelly Chapuka and Isaiah Thomas, or are you a little bit after that? What 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 is the era for the Pistons? So going to Silverdome in those days, I was in high school in the uh, early 80s. Yeah. Um, so Isaiah came in. Isaiah was drafted in 1981. Yep. Um, he started in the 81-82 season. Uh, it was awfully lean before that. Uh, although we did have my man Greg Kelser. Um, yeah. And I got to know Greg because I went to his basketball camp um at the jewish community center in west bloomfield yeah um just a, a few months after they won the national championship in 1979 and um struck up uh, a relationship with him that uh, continues to this day we bump into each other you know doing announcing gigs sometimes and and it's really cool he, he always remembers that i was one of his first <laughs> campers ever <laughs> oh that's crazy yeah that yeah, those two, Scotty Robertson was the coach, I want to say, yes. perhaps. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I remember Dick Vitale, actually, also. Oh, um, well, that would have, that puts you back into the 70s now, I think. So. Yeah, right. Yeah, he was in the 70s for sure. Yeah. Um, and um, my my mom and dad ran into him at a restaurant one time. And my dad talked to him, but he wasn't obnoxious about it. This is the way the story goes. I wasn't there. But um, anyway, uh Dick Vitale sent one of his kids back in after they left with six tickets to a Pistons game. So we got to go to a game on Dick Vitale just because my dad wasn't too obnoxious to him. <laughs> oh, that's that's a great story. Yeah. And thanks for your dad for not being obnoxious. That's I mean, right. That's he's always teaching you lessons, Kevin. Absolutely. So, yeah, it's a lesson for all of us. Exactly. Um so I think if I if I read my pre-show um, notes appropriately or correctly, you wound up at Central Michigan University and not Michigan State University. How did that happen? Uh, the application for Central Michigan was free, um, and that really appealed to me at the time. And uh, so I became a I became a Chippewa. Yeah, <laughs> and. I think you you indicated that you uh, worked some radio broadcasts when you were there. I did, yeah. I I had two stints uh, mm -hmm. at Central. I'm not ashamed at all to uh, to say, um, you know, as I, I was as first generation as you can get uh, when it comes to uh, attending college. And um, another hard lesson 
Doug, was, you know, that they actually expected me to go to the classes and do the work, um, you know, for the the schedule that I had and everything. And I didn't always want to do that. If there would, if there was a major in social, I would have been on the dean's list every single semester, but mm -hmm. there wasn't. And so eventually they said, you know what, Kevin, maybe you should go do some other things. Don't forget about us. Come back later if you want. And so that's what I ended up doing. I went, I went back later okay. and, um, and I was much more successful. I, I had matured obviously. And, sure. um, you know, I was more successful and, um, so it was during that second stint. Uh, so not only was I first generation, but now I was um, um, non-traditional as well because I was so much older uh, than everybody else. And but the, it did afford me the luxury of um, of being able to work the basketball games. I was the color commentator for um, the men's basketball radio broadcasts in uh, the three years that I was there in the late 90s. I had gotten to know Jay Smith. He was the head coach at the time. He's yeah. back at Michigan now. Mm -hmm. um, but um, I had gotten to know him over the years um, through summer camps and all that. I was a coach, too, back mm -hmm. in the day. And um, so, you know, we kept in touch. And when he got the job at Central, uh, we connected. And that's where he wanted me to be. He said, Beersy, I'd... I'd I want you to be a part of this. What would you think of doing the, uh, you know, the color on the radio? I said, love it. So that's what I did. Um, you never got into any like horse games or anything like that with, with Jay Smith, because he's a pretty prolific scorer. I'm guessing he would have schooled you. Correct. He, I, I might be an idiot, Doug. We all know that, but indeed I am no fool. Right. Yeah. yeah. It would have been super foolish. Yeah. The guy still, I mean, that's a record that probably will never be broken. He scored over 2,800 points in his high school career at Mayo, Michigan. Yeah. Um, and that'll probably never be broken. What, um, I, I can't recall that era uh, very well in, in my, you know, uh, muddled and now older mind. What was, what was the uh, scene like uh, for CMU athletics at that time, both, you know, basketball, football, anything else that maybe you uh, participated or not participated, but spectated. Yeah. You're talking about in the late 1990s. Yeah. Okay. So, um, Herb Duramity took over as athletic director. That's right. And that was seen as a very positive thing because he was a legendary football coach. He had, you know, gotten away from uh, uh, coaching, but he took over as athletic director. And so there was a lot of hope. Um, it's not an overnight deal, you know, and I was only there for three years. What Jay was able to do with the men's basketball program was fantastic. And the year after I left, they actually, uh, they won, that was their first, um, it was his first uh, MAC championship. And they went to the NCAA tournament and so forth. And uh, Mike came, I'm, I'm sorry, not Mike Kamen. Um, Chris Kamen, right? Chris Kamen, thank yeah. you. Yeah, I have a buddy who's Mike Kamen, who was the play-by-play -play guy uh, at that time also. So I sometimes get the two of them mixed up. But so I didn't call Chris's games, but um, but he went to Central and, had a uh, had a spectacular career, which included MAC championships and NCAA appearances. Yeah. Um, so Jay was able to really, really build it. The football team um, sadly continued to struggle in those yeah. days. So where does your your sports fan journey take you as you move through CMU? I know that 
Um, there was a little bit of teaching in your in your future, if I'm not mistaken, perhaps even a little bit of coaching while teaching. But in terms of being a fan, what, what does that look like for you uh, post um, non-traditional second stint in Mount Pleasant? So, of course, uh, you know, it, it just continued. I mean, I, I've never lived anywhere outside of Michigan. Um, so I have always remained uh, a huge fan of the local teams. Right. Mm-hmm. And I kept uh, I kept hoping against hope for the Lions. Um, you know, I celebrated with the Tigers because they've always had, you know, stints where they were, you know, um, very relevant and successful um and the pistons you know the bad boys oh god the bad boys that was my team man you know i know i'm not alone in saying that man did i love watching that team um you know and then and then even uh uh, further along after i got uh uh, into teaching at uh, waterford mount high school and coaching again um then uh you know the the championship the 2004 um pistons captured me the the going to work crew right mm-hmm. um yep. so it's it's just always been there and then the the tigers journey also began right around that same time they got Pud rodriguez right and uh, that started um that just started an incredible run of playoffs uh for the tigers so yeah it, it it's it's just it's continued and and now this year, Doug, with the Lions, man, I mean, I try to be, I try to temper it, right? I try to, I try to say, okay, you can't go overboard. You know what's going to happen. It just doesn't feel the same, though. I mean, this, this coach and and that owner, um, what's her name? Shelly or Sharon or uh, oh, I can't think of it. Yeah, I, I can't remember uh, the name either. I can't think of it. The, the fact that we don't know who the owner is right now for the Lions, it's still Ford, but the fact that we don't know who it is is a good thing, I think. Yeah, maybe that's maybe <laughs> that is a good thing. And I I just think she she really deserves Sheila, a lot Sheila, of credit for that. Sheila, Sheila something. That's it. Yes. Kemp, yeah. Yes. Um right. Um Sheila. Um and, and I I really think she deserves a lot of credit for this. And I I tell you when she won me over was um the last year of that um, awful duo. I can't even think of the guy's name now. The guy who was the head coach with Matt, the beard, Matt, Matt Patricia. Matt Patricia, thank you. Yeah, and the and the GM also, Quinn. and the picture. Yeah. Yep, the picture of her in the suite sitting next to the GM, and she's like this. Yeah, that's when she won me over, and I thought, oh my god, maybe now, maybe maybe the owner finally has had enough, and from that point forward, I mean, that's ex. Honestly, that's the moment I think when, when what we're enjoying today, I think it started in that moment. And you can, I'm sure you can find the picture easily on Google with her, <laughs> you know, right next to the uh, GM, and she's she's got her hand or her head buried in her hand. That's when this started. I I don't disagree, and I I would also say or suggest that I think a pivot point for the franchise and and where it's at now. And, and again, I'm going to knock on a lot of wood because yeah, any, right. anything can still go wrong with this. Yeah, sure. But would be when they decided to bring on um, someone from our younger years, Chris Spielman to work in the front office and be an advisor and a consultant and to try to get some better football minds involved 
with that franchise. Good call. That's a that's a great call because, man, what a mind that guy has and a motivating dude too. You know, I mean, people yeah. want to be around him and and uh, he attracts you know good strong football people and everything. That's a great call, Doug. I I would consider that a pivot point too. Yeah. Well, let's let's dive into a little bit of about how you found your way to a microphone on the sidelines at Oakland University. Uh, 19 seasons now. Um, how did it start? And was it something that you were seeking out? Did it just kind of happen? Um, what's what's the origin story there? So um, there's kind of a Wally Pip uh, element to it for, okay. one, for one thing. And so it is kind of a cool story. I was not in the least seeking out. It had never occurred to me that uh, there may be a path for me to be a, a small part of the program. I was going to some games uh, and I worked uh, summer camp because I was coaching, you know, and uh, and I was really passionate about coaching basketball. So I worked uh, some of Greg Campy's basketball camps in the early 2000s. Um, and uh, one of my really good friends was is remains Jeff Smith. And uh, Jeff is um, currently the associate head coach. And back then, he was the associate head coach also. Um, he was just starting out, uh, you know, our, I'm not going to go deep into our history, but um, he called me one day and left a message on my cell phone. And this would have been in um, October of 2004 um he left a message he said Beersy, i really want to get you part of the program um if you're at all interested there's an opening right now for somebody to kind of run the um contests and uh, yeah. the events and stuff like that during timeouts and halftime and all that yeah. and um i thought to myself eh, i'm not super interested in that but if the guy wants me to be a part of the program, I'm not going to say no to that. Maybe it'll be really cool. So I called Tracy was her name. I called Tracy and she said, great, we've got an exhibition game on Sunday. Come on in. We can, uh, we can get to know each other. So we spent that, uh, that exhibition game, just getting to know each other. She talked to me about the job and she said, Oh, by the way, um, once in a while, usually a couple games a season, um, the PA announcer has to miss for, you know, uh, whatever reason. Is there any way you'd be comfortable enough to do that? I said, well, yeah. And she said, I thought you might be with your radio background and everything. And um, I said, yeah, absolutely. I can do that. She said, okay, great. So she says, well, I'll see you Tuesday. That's our first, uh, that's our first regular season game. I said, great. See you Tuesday. And so I showed up Tuesday figuring I was going to, be walking out on the court during timeouts and saying, Hey everybody, this is Doug. Doug's going to try to win a gift certificate to McDonald's, you know, or yeah. whatever. Um, and, uh, I went, as soon as I saw Tracy, she had just this look of death on her face. I said, Oh my God, what's wrong. And she said, the PA announcer is sick. Is there any way? And I said, Tracy, Tracy, don't worry. We got this. What do you got a script or something? She said, Yes, I have a script. Are you sure about this? I said, absolutely. Let's let's do this. So I did it that night and um, she called me the next day and she said, I've never asked Campy about this, but she said, I got a call from Coach Campy this morning 
he said, I have no idea who that guy was, but he needs to, he needs to be our guy that got our guys so fired up when he introduced them. And she said, so what are your thoughts? And I said, well, I'm flattered. And my other thought is that somebody has the job. And she said, she said, yes. Now you're not going to believe this. Just a couple of weeks ago, Chris approached me and he had started a new job with the Detroit Lions, actually. And it's taken up a ton of his time. And um, she said that Chris said, if there's any way you can lighten my load here, you know, if you can take, if you can reduce my schedule or whatever. And Tracy said, so what if you call the men's games and Chris continues to call the women's games? He's good with that. I said, well, if he's good with that and everybody's good with that, I'm good with that too. Let's do it. And so that's, that's how it started. Wow. Yeah. I thought you were going to say that Tracy said, Chris, have we got a deal for you? We can lighten your load to no games, but yeah, I'm, no. I'm happy that it was a little more um, 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 tempered than that. I, I think that's, yes. that's good. Yes. Yeah, definitely now, was. And yeah. Chris, you know, I'm sorry, Doug, but Chris yeah. had done it. I think this is an interesting point. Chris had done it for 11 years. So okay. now with me at the 19 year mark, that's two PA announcers in 30 years. That's not quite your Indiana Hoosiers guy at yeah, 40 but years. Cool, yeah. But that's not bad. I mean, that's two PA announcers at a mid-major for 30 years. I think that's kind of cool. It's very cool. And I I mean, with the elephant in the room, so to speak, is the fact that the head coach at Oakland University has been there for 40 years, right? Right. Yeah, this is his 40th season. And he is now the the dean, I think, of coaches across the nation in terms of, you know, at a single site or the same con continuity at the yeah. same place. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He took that over when, um, 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 Bayheim, Jim Bayheim, um, yeah. At, retired. Uh, Syracuse yeah. when he retired, um, you know, last year, um, or year before yeah. last, I guess, uh, Greg took over, uh, that, um, uh, that moniker. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. So what, what have you, uh, seen that's been, uh, perhaps notable, um, unusual enjoyable fascinating along the way in these 19 seasons any moments that that rise above others well definitely yeah i mean they've had a number of championships um in those years i i came in the year after their first championship with raw marshall and courtney scott and uh some uh some other key key players um i started the year after they went. So that was their first trip to the NCAA tournament. And then um, several years later, um, five, five years later, I think it was, oh, no, I think it was 2010 and 2011, if I remember right. Maybe it was 09 and 10. They won back-to-back -back championships and went to the NCAA tournament. Those teams were phenomenal and, um, you know, came really close to winning in the NCAA tournament also. Um, so yeah, those moments are huge. Um, Travis Bader, Travis Bader came along and, uh, broke, broke the NCAA record for most three pointers in a career. Um, how cool is that? You know? And so, I mean, I was, I was the PA for his entire career. Um, you know, so I, I have not counted the number of threes that I called, you know, but, uh, 
but man, it was, uh, it was a lot of them. Um, so, you know, there are moments like that in individual players, um, moments, you know, some, some of the, some of the things Kay Felder did when he was here, yeah. um, you know, some of the games at the, at the palace, in fact, a Kay Felder game at the palace against Michigan state, when the Spartans were number one in the country, they were missing their top player. We probably should, uh, should say, but man, oh man, Kay Felder hit a three to tie it up at the buzzer. He was falling out of bounds from the left, um, left corner, uh, at the palace, he hit this shot that sent it into overtime and it was a one point loss. I mean, talk about, you know, that close to taking down the number one ranked team in the country. So there have been lots of moments like that. Um, you know, it's one of the cool things about that mid-major program and about Campy's approach. Uh, yeah. He's just like Izzo. That's probably why they get along so well. <laughs> He'll play anybody anywhere at any time. And that's, that's cool. And he's also had some success in getting some fairly significant, you know, major programs to come in to Rochester Hills, to Oakland, to play on occasion. What are some of those? What I know Georgia has been in before Oklahoma state. I think who else has been in there? Uh, Georgia and Oklahoma state. um, We beat both of those teams, uh, by the way. Yeah. Um, that's why we they've never beat, been back, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, we beat Georgia in the arena, and that was uh, amazing. Uh, Oklahoma State killed us in the arena just a couple okay. of years ago yeah. after we had beaten them on their court the That's year right. before that. So um, a, a huge one, Doug, was back-to-back victories over Tennessee. Um, the first one was at Tennessee, and they were ranked seventh in the country. It was one of those championship game, uh, championship teams. Uh, so, I mean, they were, they were for real, you know, it was, people are like, Oh my God, Tennessee must be terrible. No, this, oh, that Oakland team was, was really good and could have beaten a lot of top 10 teams. Yeah. Uh, and then the next year they came to Oakland and we beat them again. Um, it was amazing. You know, those are great moments. And was that would that have been Bruce Pearl coach? Was that it, yes. was that was that the connection? Because he was yes. formerly at what Milwaukee, I think, and they were part of the same league, Horizon yeah. or Midcontinent or whatever it was at the time with Campy, right? And OU. Yeah, currently uh, Milwaukee is uh, is in the um, in the same league. We're yeah. we're both in the Horizon yeah, League. That's right. Um, so I'm not sure where their friendship began, but it continues. Bruce Pearl and and Greg are really close friends, and so. Bruce said, well, you know, we got to do something. And Greg's like, great, you know, let's work it out. And Oakland won them both. And Tennessee will never, they'll probably never come. Well, no, they did play at Michigan State uh, earlier this season. Yeah, um, that that exhibition game, yeah. That's probably as close to Rochester as they're going to get. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, maybe uh, maybe Campy can get Auburn in now that uh, that yeah. rolls down at Auburn, right? And, yeah, right. right. Or, may, or maybe Bruce has learned his lesson and is never coming back to Michigan. That's probably more like it, right yeah. there. Yeah. Um, now you referenced the Palace game. Are you on the? You're on the mic for that when when it's a OU home game, I presume, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, and uh, so there were many. I mean, it's every other year. Uh, we play a home game against Michigan state. Um, but for obvious reasons, um, that's played elsewhere. We don't 
now it's uh, Little Caesars Arena, so I get to do that game um, at Little Caesars Arena too. And um, you know, it's a, ex- expanding that a little bit too. Even when Oakland's not playing, um, there have been two times. There were there were two times at the Palace where Oakland was the host school for the NCAA first and second round, and I got to. I got to PA those as well. In fact, Chris, the guy that we were talking about earlier, mm-hmm. um, he and I split the games the first time. I think it was 2006, I think. And he and I split the games at the Palace. That was awesome. And then again, in maybe 2013, Oakland hosted again at the Palace. And I got to do all of the games and the practices uh, as well. So I got to bring out the teams and announce the head coach including for West Virginia that year was um, a guy that ended up at Michigan uh, and he was announced, he was announced by the dumb PA announcer that day as um, gosh, now it's not Jim Beheim. I got to think John, uh, John B. Yes, that's it. Yeah. He was announced as John Bylan. Bylan. Head coach, head coach, John Bylan. Okay. And, Instantly, every assistant coach and every manager yelled, "It's Beeline, Beeline!" And so I went. Oh, I was just like the Lions owner, and I said into the mic, "I said into the mic, correction, that's John Beeline." And just, oh God! And it was that guy. It was Jeff Smith, my friend, um, who's the at, at Oakland. Yeah. He's the one I asked him. I said, how do you say this guy's last name? Because he was at West Virginia. He wasn't, you know, a household name like he is yeah. now. And Smitty told me, uh, he said, it's Bylan. I said, John wow. Bylan? And he says, yeah. I said, are you sure? And he goes, yes, absolutely. 100%. And he couldn't have been more wrong. Oh, yeah. And that was one of thousands of embarrassing mistakes that uh, I have made in in 19 years. I was going to say is, and that's the last time you spoke to Jeff Smith. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. No. Oh, wow. Um, now I know LCA hosts, um, what the sweet 16 and elite eight. Is that a, is that a horizon league? Is that a U of D gig or who, who's on the mic for that one? Is that you? Yeah. Oh yeah. That's going to be so cool, Doug. I, I, I am so looking forward to that. It's, I believe it's good Friday and Easter Sunday are the two dates. Um, and they'll probably, I would assume there'll be a public practice session uh, the day before, at least the first, you know, the sweet 16. Um, that stuff is so cool. You know, even if that's all you get to, the tickets are, you know, ridiculously expensive. So yeah. it's hard. You know, I've been, for... I've been nosing around and, and I'm not <sighs> going to be in the building yeah. unless I go to the practice. Yeah. Right. Exactly. But, you know, going to the practices are cool because it's all the teams and, uh, you know, I did that when the final four was uh, at Ford Field mm-hmm. uh, and it's going to be again in a few years. Um, yeah. But when it was in the, you know, 2000s, whatever year, seven, eight, you know, nine, nine, 2009, okay. I believe, yeah. 2009 and Michigan State happened to be in it. Yeah. Um, so I I actually um, took my son Griffin and I think maybe Gage too that day. Uh, I, I took him out of school that day. Uh, they were in elementary school and maybe not gauge. Um, but we, uh, we went down there and watched all the practices and ate hot dogs and pretzels, uh, you know, and I found no shame in that as a dad whatsoever, you know? Um, 
and it was really cool. So those practices are are cool. It's it's a it's a neat atmosphere. Um, if we happen to have a local team in there, Michigan or Michigan State um, or Oakland, you know, yeah. or whoever, um, it's a it's a really cool atmosphere. Even the practices. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. And certainly, if you're near them, if you're listening and you happen to be near any of the uh, first and second rounds, or even the the Sweet Sixteen and the Elite Eight, getting to the practices is is not as good as seeing the competition, but maybe it's even better in some cases because there are no commercial interruptions. You, you yeah. don't have those those lengthy delays, and and it, you're in and out in a in a fixed amount of time as well, which is kind of fun. Yeah. Um, well, this has been a, a lot of fun. Um, Kevin, I, I really appreciate it. Uh, you mentioned Travis Bader and calling his threes. And if I recall from having been to a few games in the arena, you have a unique way of calling the three, if I'm not mistaken. So can you give us a taste of that right now? Well, for Travis, it was Travis Bader for one, two, three. Yeah. And that kind of stuff. Yep. That was, that was some good stuff. Um, what else is out there for you as a, as a sports fan? I, I know that um, your kids are a little bit older now, so maybe you have a little more uh, mobility to get out and, and see some things and do some stuff without some younger ones. Are there some pieces that, you know, as we like to say on our bucket list that you would like to try and, and, and visit or, or see either other venues or events? Great, great question. And yeah, there, there are many, and it's unrealistic uh, to think that I'll ever make it to Wimbledon, um, you know, to see that, but the U S open is not out of question. And that's something that, you know, we've, uh, we've started to talk about how cool it would be if we could do that. Um, a big dream is, uh, and looking, looking ahead a little bit, uh, 2028, the summer Olympics are in Los Angeles. Um, you know, I, 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 I don't anticipate being able to afford that, but uh, I'm going to try to start squirreling away some money and see if that's at all possible. And if it's not, well, then maybe we'll settle for the U.S. Open that year, um, you know, instead. Uh, so that's kind of a plan. We're we're a we're a tennis family as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, a lot of my a, a lot of my passion now is uh, is in my uh, is toward my kids, um, you know, because as they got older, they they all had um, high school basketball and tennis careers, and I still have two um, at Stony Creek. And so, you know, God, I love to watch my my son Gideon now. He's in eleventh grade. He's the he's the varsity guy, and he's just starting his first varsity basketball season. And I just can't wait. He had a a hugely successful um, junior season uh uh in the fall for tennis and mm-hmm. you know my uh, my youngest son gibby is now in eighth grade and we've been chasing him around america literally watching him play baseball uh for years and uh it, it, that's you know that's that's really where my passion for live sports lies these yeah. days well and you've got what you know probably 16 18 dates that are already on the calendar where you'll be you know in the front row watching live sports too, right? Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, yeah. courtside. Yeah, you got it. Yeah. Um, well, don't give up on on Wimbledon. I just got my rejection um, last week that I, I didn't win in the ballot. Again, I, I tried now. This is, I think, year two or three. To go to Wimbledon? Yeah. 
I had no idea we had that in common. That's so cool. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I, I have an interest in trying to get and, and see some of these iconic venues, yeah. the venue yeah. more than the sport. I mean, I, I, I'll watch tennis. I'll watch the majors, but I, I would not call myself a tennis aficionado. But yeah. to be able to see, you know, Wimbledon, whether I could ever set foot and, and see something in, at center court or just be on the hill to watch it on the screen would be fine yeah. with me and enjoy some strawberries and cream. Um, you have no and, idea how much I respect that. Honestly, <laughs> I, I just I love yeah. that. I love that. That's so yeah. cool. And, you know, the U.S. Open, um, you know, the tennis U.S. Open, I, I just I, I, I want to get there, too, at some point. And, and that one is certainly much more attainable, I think, than probably Wimbledon. Wimbledon's a little more entailed. But I was hoping to to do the the double this year because I, I did win tickets to the um, the Open Championship, the British Open Championship, which is at Royal Troon, north of Glasgow. So I was hoping that I could get pulled for Wimbledon and maybe I could knock off two yeah. this year at with one trip over to the UK. But it's <laughs> right. going gonna, gonna to necessitate another trip over, perhaps, to, to be able to see some Wimbledon action. Oh, my gosh. That's so cool. So are you going to the British Open next year? Yeah, I've got uh, tickets to two practice rounds and the Thursday competition round. Wow! Uh, I don't know what I'm if I'll go to all three of those. I may try to sell, you know, one of the practice rounds, but I do want to see a competition round. We were fortunate. I was drawn for four tickets to a practice round at St. Andrews last year or the year before the 150th open was at St. Andrews and our family took a trip to the UK that year. So we were able to go as a group and, and walk the grounds at St. Andrews and, and see the, the practice day on that Tuesday, which was wow. fascinating and, and very, you know, low key. It's, you know, more relaxed and the players yeah. don't really, you know, they got a few games that I think are going on a little side bets here or there, but for the most yeah. part, they're out just trying to get a feel for the course. But it was uh, fascinating to be there and to see it and the ride to train over from Edinburgh uh, and back with all these other golf fans and just, you know, the 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 fellow who was just flown in from Japan the night before and you know, didn't speak a lick of English, really, it seemed like, but he knew about golf and knew the history of St. Andrews and wow. the, the Aussies who had been over in the in Europe for the last month, I think, and they were culminating their trip with four days at St. Andrews and it was a lot of a lot of neat stuff and conversations uh, was had. It was it was a great experience. I look forward to going to to Troon this year, Royal Troon, and and seeing that one and and just soaking it in. It'll be fun. That's amazing. I, I absolutely, I I love that. I love that. And um, you know, for my my dad has always wanted to see Pinehurst number two. Mm-hmm. which is actually where the U.S. Open golf will be this year. So I I wow. have managed to secure tickets to the Thursday round at Pinehurst um, the weekend before Father's Day. So he and I will be going down for that one too. So I'll knock out two of the four golf majors this year. Wow, that's Augusta, incredible. Augusta remains elusive. I've been putting in yeah, for that one for, for like 12 years now, and I get a rejection letter every wow. year. Wow, that's tough. You got to find somebody, you, you got to... You got to find somebody who has, uh, you know, a, a connection. Yeah, probably. I mean, that's it, probably what it takes. It will. I mean, uh, although I've got a friend, who, another Central Michigan product, actually, a friend, John, who was originally from uh, graduated from Adams High School. He is and was a former guest here, but he has now been drawn three times at Augusta. He's had his name pulled three times. Well, his wow. name, tw- his name twice 
and he and a group like put in like four or five guys all put in and one of his friends had their name drawn so he's going again this year he's got tickets wow crazy so it can be done it can be done yeah yeah well, hey, uh, thank you for all of the time and, and the patience as we dealt with some technology issues that our listeners will be completely unaware of, which is good. Um, but thanks for this, Kevin. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Doug. This this has been, uh, you made my week for sure. Very good. Have a good one. All right, you too. Thanks. Conversations with Sports Fans is a production of the Sports Fan Project. Our theme music is, fittingly, entitled Wooden Championships by Lobo Loco. Please visit our website at thesportsfanproject.com for more information and to contact us. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please share it with other sports fans you know and invite them to give it a listen.